Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, this week's episode of Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we have a we have a split studio this week. Um, this is Robin schooling, and I'm uh, calling in from uh, from my home base in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Mike Vandervoort, say hi to us. You're in Washington D.C. Hi, I'm in Washington D.C. on remote. Yes, yeah, so here for meetings this, today and tomorrow. So good. hi, hi, Robin. How are you doing today? I am good. I'm good. Is it is it cold there or warmer? No snow. Uh, cold. Cold. It's it's same as it was in Atlanta. It's like wet, cloudy, and uh, sort of forty-ish. So we're it's it's fall in the you know the east. So anyway. Yeah. Yuck. Yuck. Well, it's cold here in the in the Louisiana today too. So although that's okay. relative, I guess, but I'm cold. So. Yep. Thank you. It's a it's another glorious Tuesday, but we like Tuesdays because Tuesdays is all about uh, drive-through HR, and uh, we've got a fun, fun, fun guest um, this week. Um, someone who is doing really some very super amazing work, and she doesn't really talk about it publicly as much as I'd kind of like her to because. Uh, I, I hear some of the backstories, and I see some of the things she's doing, and um, working really in, you know, I think such a critical area of HR and talent, and that's diversity and inclusion, and uh, let's welcome our guest, uh, Katie Van Horn. Hello, Katie. Hi there. How are you? Good, good, Hi, good. Katie. Hello. <laughs> I think we have and the Katie's entire nation Katie's sitting in uh, Arizona, so she's got yeah, the best weather say- of all. We're coast to coast right now, I think. We are. <laughs> we are. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself because you, um, you hung out your own shingle really not that terribly long ago. Bar the door, consulting and coaching. Tell us, uh, tell our audience a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. Thank you. So, um, yeah, it's actually been almost a year that I started Bar the Door Consulting and Coaching. And really the the work that we're doing is partnering with organizations to focus on their diversity and inclusion strategies. So really helping them with what are the specific things that you can do, not just change your numbers, but to truly create a inclusive environment where people can do their best work. So one of the... Um you know, I think one of the things in in this whole conversation that is so interesting to me, and and perhaps I'm going to give away my age when I when I talk about this, but you know, back in the day um, when I started in HR, um, yes, we spoke about diversity. Um, the concept of inclusion was really nowhere on the radar. We spoke about diversity, and we approached it in in HR style from this very sort of compliance-based, you know, foundation. That and, and, and so we equated diversity with compliance. Um, right. How how have you seen that transition over the years? How how are we doing with moving away from that mindset? And, and what does diversity mean now to more people? Yeah, a great question. So I think, you know, the the evolution of diversity and inclusion has really been interesting to see. But there are still themes that are 
still issues that we were facing years ago, unfortunately. And so, yes, it absolutely was a compliance-driven activity with EEO reporting and with affirmative action for different organizations and things like that. And now it's really evolved into how do you create a workforce and how do you create a place that you can drive innovation by bringing in diverse perspectives and diverse backgrounds. And so I think organizations are really starting to understand that this D&I concept isn't just a nice to have, it truly is a business imperative because we really want to, you know, if you have a global customer base, if you are a global organization, you need to really be focused on mirroring your, your population of your organization to the people you're trying to serve. So I think for from that perspective, we're evolving to this place of organizations really understanding the business need to have a diverse workforce. Yeah. What are what are some what are some of the things you know when you're working with companies when you're working with your clients? Um, how how do you um, Work with them to understand what what the you know I guess what the business outcomes could be. Yeah, you know that mm-hmm. it's not just a a nice to have the right thing to do, which is which is great. I want I want organizations that that approach diversity and inclusion from a from a point of humanity. Um, but the C-suite folks want to know what's it going to mean to my bottom line. How 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 do you have that conversation? Absolutely. So I think there's been a lot of research done at this point, and you can go to like the McKinsey and Lean In have done a study um, now for a few years around the business results that can be by diverse teams. And Forbes has done some stuff. There's been a lot of organizations that have done some research around what are the business bottom line results that can be changed by having a diverse team. So that conversation is actually somewhat easy to have. I think that the piece that, you know, we're really trying to have now is also not just the business reasons why this is important, but also the how do you actually, like, categorize people and how do you think about um, – you know, the, what boxes they check, if you will, because there is so much, like, there's not one label that you can put on most people nowadays. You know, there's in, the whole concept of intersectionality where everyone can fill in multiple buckets and their backgrounds have multiple things that they come, you know, that come into play on how they perceive things and, and how they approach work and that type of thing. And so being able to really pull in the different perspectives and the different diversity that comes into play, not just the, you know, the diversity that you're born with, but also the diversity from the perspectives, the, the experiences that you've had that inform on yeah. how you work today. So I, I think it's also just helping them understand what does diversity really mean and and how do you really think about that in terms of getting work done? Because one of the things that, that you talk about is um, that balance, viewing it as a balanced team versus mm-hmm. an underrepresented group. Yep, yeah, so – yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the, the things that we're, we're trying to move away from, the folks that do this work and really for any HR practitioner, it's really important to be thinking about balanced teams and underrepresented groups versus saying the word diversity or diverse candidates, because there's a connotation there that these folks are the different, 
or they're the, the odd man out, if you will. And what we want to do is really start thinking about this as when you have a balanced team, meaning you have representation from different genders and different ethnicities and different abilities and those types of things, the amount of innovation and, and really solutions-based um, results that you can have is amazing and it's great. And But when you talk about diversity, you do run into things like, oh, well, we don't want to lower the bar or, oh, we, you know, we're just hiring this person because they're diverse, which absolutely yeah. should never be the case. The whole point of really having representation from different groups is to drive more innovation, is to drive better results. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you can have those conversations within a team, people have different perspectives and it's a re respectful conversation, even if there are challenges, that's a great way to get the best result. You know, it's kind of like in a brainstorming session, when you have a team that has worked together for years and years, comes from the same school, comes from the same background, lives in the same neighborhood, it's, you get a lot of the same when it comes to those brainstorming sessions. But if you have right. people from totally different backgrounds, the ideas and the perspectives and all of the things that come out of those conversations, it's, it's just amazing to see. And you know, for those have, who've been a part of a conversation like that, it is interesting to see, oh, I had never thought about it that way, or oh, I'd never considered those things. So I, that's really why we talk about balanced teams and, and getting representation yeah. from different groups versus just diversity. Can't remember where I, where I read this article, but this was, I think you perhaps saw it too, but this was just a couple of weeks ago. And um, on, I don't know, Forbes or Fast Company, I, I think it might have been Fast Company, talking about... Um, airport design and mm -hmm. that, you know, airport design, I mean, you think of, you know, trudging through your, your typical airport and it's, you know, it's metal, it's cold, there's not enough bathrooms, it takes you forever to get from point A to point B, whatever, um, that there's a trend now in airport design um, to bring in very diverse teams to work on what airports should feel like. And so they, th this article referenced the fact that they were bringing in um, and soliciting input from, um, like, they specifically talked about grandmas, you know, uh, grandmothers mm -hmm. and grandparents that may be traveling with their grandchildren. Um, mm -hmm. What are they looking for in that airport experience? And what what sort of that, that prism that they're looking through it at is totally different than a bunch of, you know, 35-year-old, you know, engineering dudes somewhere mm -hmm. um, who are just trying to, to crank out another airport. Right. Absolutely. And I, I yes, I, I also read that article. And I think it's, it's great because it's one of those things that for those of us who are, you know, I would consider myself a little bit of a road warrior, there are certain things that I look for and really appreciate in different um airports and there are airports that you know like oh my goodness I have to fly through and I won't you know I won't label any airports specifically just because I don't want to call anyone out but there are <laughs> other airports that you're like I never want to go through that airport and you'll switch travel switch your you know flight if you have to just so you don't have to fly through airports and and yes. it's because of the ease of use it's because of the amenities it's because like I'll tell you here in Arizona we have Sky Harbor Airport they have within all of the restaurants, they've brought in all local restaurants. And huh. like that might be like, okay, who cares what, you know, it's not a big deal. But 
if you are having to fly through there or spend any amount of time there, it's just really nice to have like a different thing versus just McDonald's or Burger King. And that's your only option um, or some chain. And, and so I think it's even just something that simple is such a great way to just say, here's who we are also as a city and as, you know, as a state. Um, But I think it's also that ease of use of, we have all been there where you've waited in a line for 15 minutes to get to a restroom and have been nervous that you're not going to make it back to your gate in time. So are we thinking about just those simple things about if you spend time in airports because of a delay or whatever it might be, do you have a place that you can relax? Or if you have children with, with you, is there a place that you can play or, you know, let them run around so they can get some of their energy out. It's all of the things that, people that maybe aren't those, you know, male engineers that are in their early twenties or early thirties or whatever, that maybe they just, again, don't think about, and it's an awareness building and, you know, having the functionality and kind of the, the feel that you want, and you can apply this to any space, not just an airport, but making sure it serves, serves your audience. So, you know, we can switch a little bit to even like the open work plans that, you know, it's either, yes, this is the greatest thing ever, or wow, this is the worst thing ever, depending on if you're an introvert or not. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of conversations about just that open workspace and who is that actually built for and who does it really serve? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of conversation about space and accessibility and all of these things that people are having because we do have a very diverse group of individuals living on this planet, you know, and, and we have to think about that. And and I always kind of equate it to, um, I mean, it can be anything, but it's, um, you know, you're sitting in a meeting. This could be the most boring. It's your weekly operations meeting, whatever. Um, it, it's like any time a group gathers together, I think the important question is everybody needs to think in their mind or ask out loud, uh, okay, who should be here that's not? Mm-hmm. You know, who's right. missing from this conversation? Um, Absolutely. And. And just continually asking that. Um, well, we're at about the halfway point, and you may have noticed I muted Mike because yeah. um, he was the background noise where he was was so large, so loud. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him back on live. Uh, can you hear us again, Mike? <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I was trying to find it. I was trying to find a quieter spot, but there there really isn't one. They were they're watching yeah. uh, bar rebuilding of the bar show here. And cheering for the guy, oh. so I'm not really sure how to. So, so I have two questions, and then you can put yeah. me back on mute if you want to. The first question is, Katie, is I think I think it was Joe Gerstein who a couple weeks ago or last week, and I didn't read the whole article, but he wrote an article like you know these things come out periodically about staffing or whatever. Um, but it was the I think it was on HR Examiner, and the title of the article was "It's Time to Split Up HR and Diversity and Inclusion." So I'd like to get your opinion on that idea. Um, but before that, I wanted to kind of ask about, uh, like, also a week or so ago, uh, President Trump announced that they were going to rescind protections, you know, for transgender people and a number of other things. You know, so we're going to, like, like the government has been doing recently, we're, we're going to go backwards. Um, and like 56 companies, Microsoft, Google, and many other business leaders, CEOs sent a letter to the White House saying, you know, it's a mistake. Don't do that. You know, how do you do, I guess the, and the, it's not so much the question about that specific letter or event, but how do you, how do you think that 
the world. I mean, the government isn't leading on this issue in my mind. It's business, I guess. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you agree or disagree. And t- who really owns it in the end, right? I mean, is it social policy? Is it necessity of work? So those are the two things I'm curious about. So. Okay. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll start with the first one. And so. I, I did not actually get a chance to read that article, but I, I kind of understand the concept. And, and it's a debate similar to, you know, we can have with any of the centers of excellence. Like, should they report directly to the CEO? And, and how do you think about the importance of diversity and inclusion in your organization? And so I, I think there's absolutely a, a pro and con on, on that list. For me, really what I believe and and think on where should diversity and inclusion sit, I do believe it belongs in HR. And and the reason why I say that is because I think there's so many things that you're working on as a diversity and inclusion practitioner that are interwoven through the people processes, so everything that HR is doing. And so I think it, it you're working with those centers of excellence and with every person in HR to drive what are policy changes that we need to make? What are the benefits that we need to be thinking about for our population? What are the, you know, even, you know, building and facilities type questions. And a lot of times facilities is now falling under HR. So there's absolutely a need to have the two working together very closely. So it makes sense in my mind that they're sitting in the meetings with the other leaders of HR, et cetera. The, The only caveat to that is, there needs to be a um, very important tie to that CEO and executive leadership team, and that includes funding. I think a lot of times people say, we want to focus on diversity inclusion, we want to do these things, and yes, we're an inclusive environment, but they're not actually putting their money where their mouth is, and so they're not funding some of the programs around, you know, are you resourcing your employee resource groups? Are you giving... um, different benefits that maybe aren't the the common core benefits that people are thinking about when they think about their benefits, but are specific to your organization's population. Are you thinking about all of these different pieces? Are you recruiting in diverse, at diverse conferences and in diverse ways so you can get a diverse candidate pool to choose from? So I think there's, if the funding is there from the executive team, I don't see any reason why Uh, diversity inclusion should should not sit in HR. Now, you know, from a, hey, it would be really nice if we could report to the CEO. That's also a great, but I think it's also if it's funded by, supported by vocally and, you know, the leadership team kind of walking the talk, I think it's good to sit wherever makes sense within the organization. That's, that's that. Uh, For the kind of social impact and the social, um, Things that have come up recently, and obviously the the trans uh, benefits and the the erasing of the trans population that is going on by our government right now. Um, first of all, I, I will tell you my my personal belief on this is that it's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong, and I'm very happy that you have organizations like Google, Microsoft, etc., who are stepping up and saying this should be something that we as a business community kind of force the hand of the government in a little bit of a way. And the reason why I say that is because I think it's something that there has to be some balance and, you know, we use our senators and our representatives that are going into DC to represent us. And unfortunately, as we've seen recently, sometimes that doesn't actually happen. So if the business community needs to get involved to say, 
this is not okay. And they've done it a few times in the past as well to say, this is not appropriate. This is not okay. And the transgender community cannot be erased. They're not going away. They're not going to change. They're, they, this is who they are. And we need to protect everyone equally. And it's, you know, the whole employee experience concept is that we're trying to drive a consistent and fair experience for all of our employees. And if you're erasing or not supporting an entire group of individuals in your organization or within your country, that is not okay. And, and so I think that I, I, I truly appreciate the businesses that are stepping forward and kind of calling out the government to say, this is not acceptable and we will not be okay with this as, as some of the biggest um, organizations and, and companies in the country. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I, I agree with ahead. you and I, and I think we can see the, the power um, while this is, you know, driven um, being approached from a different standpoint of, you know, these are the, these are the people who make up our, the Googles and the whatever speaking out about this. These are, these are our employees. These are people we care about. These are our customers, people we care about, um, that we don't believe in this sort of treatment or rolling back rights and that sort of thing. And, you know, we've seen that happen from a purely kind of capitalistic standpoint, um, in other situations where um, when states have enacted very restrictive, um, you know, bathroom laws and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. where large corporations or, um, you know, sporting events and that sort of thing mm-hmm. pulled out of that state or pulled out yep. of a certain city. Um, so we know it, we know it worked. Um, right. It's kind of like that. It, it's like a, a, a very, very large protest. Um, mm-hmm. And it's economic in, in some cases, certainly. Um, but I think there's a lot of humanity. I feel more humanity coming out of um, some of these conversations um, and the stand that some organizations are taking now. They're, they're speaking more from the human level than even a couple of years ago. I, agreed. And I think that's so important because I think there is just well, – there is so much – contention and disagreement across so many different things right now within politics and social media and all of these different things. So the more we can bring that humanity in and have the conversations about what's the right thing to do here. And if we can have organizations that are standing up and saying that's not right and that's not okay in regards to our employees, in regards to just human rights, I, that I think is is really impactful, and to your point, it could have some major business results if if you aren't on board with some of these things. I mean, the the bathroom laws that have been enacted and the businesses that have changed course on whether they're going to go into a state or hold different activities and these types of things that has a major financial um, hit to a state or to yeah. a city, and. And quite honestly, like if that's what it takes to to get these changes to happen, I you know I, that's unfortunate, but I think sometimes we have to do it. Agreed. Yeah, it. I mean, I know Indiana had a, a law for a very short time, immediately redacted it. Mm-hmm. North Carolina hung out for a long, much longer, but ultimately, you know, 
changed it back as well from that that type of pressure and it's just uh it's just I don't know but just put, I, I I guess the, I, I continue to watch these you know sort of social issues broil up and they you know they act out and it just fascinates me how we respond in the business community versus the government Agreed. Agreed. And it's unfortunate that it has to come to that, quite honestly. But, you know, we have to hold each other to account. And it's kind of the, this is the human condition and we're all in it together. And so, you know, there is no, we can't leave people behind. We can't erase people. We can't say they're not a part of the conversation because they are. And, you know, if we need to go to the buying power of the LGBT community or the buying power of whatever group we might be talking about, then we need to be thinking about that. And we've seen, you know, different boycotts happening or not. I mean, I think, you know, the whole Colin Kaepernick Nike example is another great one of, you know, you you have a situation where – People are saying, oh, no, we're going to boycott Nike or no, we're not. We're going to go out and buy more Nike. And so you see yeah. the buying power, you know, buying power of people who believe or don't believe in, in whatever the issue might be, which is, is interesting to see. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm, I'm going to give a little shout out um, moment here this moment to um, to a conference, um, to an event, really, that the three of us have gone to now for pretty much all, every year that it's been in existence and that's um that's we're human um mm-hmm. because I, I i think when i look back on the four or five years however long we're human has been going on um and i you know it's it was a very small event when it started it certainly got progressively larger um but i saw that that event um as a catalyst for a lot of these conversations amongst bigger HR community um, because I, I think their approach that they took, um, you know, which is replicated by other groups certainly, but that was an event that I really saw making it okay to sit down and have these conversations about what does it mean to be a human being um, and and how are we who are HR leaders or business leaders or executives or whatever, how are we allowing people to come to work, be themselves, recognize and understand everybody's uniqueness and and the strengths from that? Um, I I just saw uh, I I felt that that conference that event has opened up that dialogue to a wider group of people more so than than a lot of others. I 100% agree, and I think the the part that I really love the most about Work Human is that they are very timely as well. So, you know, we saw them bring out Chaz Bono, what was that, two or yeah. three years ago, yeah. when two the years ago. conversation around LGBT rights was happening and uh, gay marriage and things like that. We saw last year they had the Me Too panel, which was yep. phenomenal and heartbreaking all at the same time. And yep. and so I think it's also, they're not, you know, I, I know that we have other conferences within the HR realm, uh, not to call anyone out, but sure, it might be one of them, that they select speakers years in advance, it feels like. Right, right. And so they don't have the ability to shift. Like, I think Work Human has shifted at times and brought people in just so they can talk about a topic that's very timely. And I think for HR practitioners, the Me Too movement and some of the things that happened with the the Google document and and some of these other things, 
HR was really kind of getting a little bit of the brunt of some of that with HR didn't do anything or HR knew yes, but didn't yes. take any action. And so to be able to have these very open conversations and say, what should we as HR practitioners be thinking about to not just protect our employees, but to also protect the business and to maintain that balance and maintain that um, objectivity, like how do we do that? And so I think I really enjoy their the, the topics and their speakers. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. And I, hey, listen, I, I think their their focus start, is. They're starting a jackhammer here now, so I don't really think <laughs> we need to have jackhammer sounds from Washington D.C. So I'm going to sign off. Um, I just wanted to say thanks, Katie, for being on the show, and Robin. I'll I'll talk to you next week when I'm a li- hopefully in a little quieter spot. Okay. <laughs> HR HR keeping it real HR. over here. <laughs> you guys take care. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye, Mike. That's our new. Uh, that's our new hashtag. Jackhammer HR or something. I don't know. Uh, but we are. Uh, we are actually getting to the end. So. Uh, that, so his timing was impeccable. So yeah. um, tell us. Uh, tell all our listeners, Katie, where we can find you, where everybody can connect with you and read your stuff and have a conversation. Absolutely. For sure. So I am. Uh, my website is barthedoor.com. My uh, Twitter handle is at KatieBar7, um, or you can uh, kind of just uh, Google me and find me in different places Google. across the globe, honestly. Um, so, yeah, any, anywhere you want. <laughs> and, of course, and we have like 20 seconds, so um, so I'm going to leave everybody with the um, – if they, if they need to understand um, Bar the Door, it comes from a couple of different things. So if they go to your yes. website – so get a little bit of understanding of that, yeah, um, and uh, and a little bit of historical perspective if they go off and uh, <laughs> and Google that a little bit more too. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Robin.